Oh my gosh. Tempo, Brandon, I spoke with you earlier today. I want you to know that I am so pleased to have you here. We all are. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with No Reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight, we have a super special guest. Temple Grandin is with us tonight to discuss all things autism, and we cannot believe it. Seated at the table with me this evening is Jamie Ramos. Hello. Tabitha Cabrera. Hello. Kim McIsaac. Hi. Jennifer Dunn. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Flanagan, and we've got Temple Grandin. Amazing. Well, I wanted to just take a moment to introduce, although I know all of our listeners probably know you so well, um, but Temple is a professor an incredible inventor, a visual thinker. She is a best-selling author, and she is just an incredible asset to not only the autism community, but also animal sciences and just so much, but a hero at our table indeed. Thanks for being here, Temple. Well, it's um, really, really good to be here. Thank a lot you. Of things to talk about tonight. One of the things that all of our children have in common is such incredible sensory need. And I know you've spoken so beautifully about your experience. I wondered if we could start there. Well, when loud sounds went off suddenly, I just hated I hated balloons popping and things like this. You never knew when they were going to pop. And one of the things that's learned now about some of these sensory things, like certain loud noises is if the child can control it, I should have been allowed to pop balloons, you know, gradually making them bigger. Another yes. kid got over a fear of vacuum cleaners by letting the child turn that vacuum cleaner on and off where they control that noise. But yes. sensory problems are real. And sometimes uh, sensory issues can trigger a meltdown is because it's just sensory overload. And that's likely it might happen in the middle of a noisy Walmart. There's just um, too much stimulation. But I want to tell you a few things about wearing earphones. If you wear them all the time, the brain gets more sensitive. It will make the sensory, the hearing sensitivity worse. Mm -hmm. Now, it's okay to have them with you all the time. That gives you control. Have them with you. Put them on for the really horrible things, like some of these dreadful bathrooms with all these flushers and hand dryers. That's a place where you can uh, put them on. But then other times get them off because I've heard stories where the child was wearing uh, headphones so much that even very quiet conversation in the home turned into sensory overload. Mm-hmm. See, and it is possible to do some um, desensitization if the child can control the noise. Now, if it's something like dogs barking, I can't control that. You'd have to use recording and it has to be a real high quality recording that the child could control the volume and control it. I think that that element of control is so interesting because when you bring a tool into play, you don't want it to become your baseline. And so it's interesting to hear about it in terms of headphones because we use so many tools for my daughter. And I just, I feel like often then it becomes the baseline if it's too frequent. So I appreciate hearing. Well, and then the other thing, um, I still have problems with hearing when there's a lot of background noise. Mm-hmm. I, I still have a problem with that. And when I was a little kid and the grown-ups talked fast, it went to gibberish. So with a lot of these uh, individuals, slow down when you talk to them. The other thing is give them time to respond. Like home with one bar of service, it's going to take time to download the web page. 
It's like you click too many times on the computer, then it tries to open it up five times and it just makes it worse. Right. Mm. You've got to give up time to respond. That's another, another little hint. And then on visual sensitivity, some individuals can see flicker on fluorescent lights. Mm. And that's really bad. Fluorescent lights, but also on LED lights. Now, yeah. this doesn't bother everybody, but you know how you can find the really bad LED lights? Take they pictures didn't. with your phone in slow motion, slow motion video. And I'd wave like this because I want to make sure I play it back in slow motion. And you can find the really dreadful uh, LED lights that way. See, this is where sensory issues are very variable. They're yeah. Variable. So that's yeah. just a few little hints. And then I couldn't stand being hugged. And one of the things I did with the squeezing machine, see, I could control the squeezing machine. And I actually used that to desensitize myself. My daughter, Celie, has, um, she's eight. She has um, your book, The Girl Who Sees in Pictures, or a book about you. And she said, after speaking with you this morning or this afternoon, she goes, Mom, will you ask Temple what to do when you don't have a hug machine around? Well, there's other things you can do. You can uh, get under, you know, sofa cushions and things like this. Um, weighted blankets, weighted um, vests, things like this can be helpful. My son loves to be squeezed. Like, especially yeah. if he's overstimulated. Temple, uh, may I ask, what does that pressure do for you? Well, how does it help you? Calm down the nervous system is what it seems to do. Now, some individuals respond to deep pressure and others don't. This is where sensory issues are very, very variable. But the whole nervous system is sort of revved up to be a lot more kind of hyper responsive. And Thank then um, scratchy clothes. Mm. I wash every, any clothing goes against my skin. I wash first and need to find things that don't scratch. I find like certain Levi's itch and others don't, you know, same thing with khakis. Some itch, some don't. And it just has to do with how they do the weave. So I have mm. to find pants that don't itch. I've had really good luck with Walmart and I have found they last. You yeah, buy, they wash well. <laughs> you, you buy the trendy ones, they don't last. <laughs> yes. My daughter learned uh, from you that if you leave a button a little looser or get a different size that you can still find well, your way through. Certain well, things. that's right. You see, like I, you don't like I've heard a real sad case where a kid got fired from a bookstore because he wouldn't wear a tie. Well, come on now. You get the collar loose enough. You don't even yeah. feel the tie. Do yeah. as Temple does. Yeah. I mean, that you don't want to lose a job over that. Right. You know, there's, there's things you can do to solve that problem. One of the things that we find we balance sensory input for my daughter for is to sort of keep her from getting so escalated that we get into a place of meltdown, which I feel like for her and I know for all of our kids, really, there's it's hard to come back to full strength after. Well, it takes a while to recover from that. What's triggering yeah. a meltdown? Is it sensory? Uh -huh. The other thing that can trigger a meltdown, and it's often not given enough credit, is frustration because you cannot communicate yes it's yes. and I can remember that frustration and how old because uh, my daughter's four and she's uh nonverbal she uses an AAC device well, she has something to communicate what age do you remember that frustration well, I can remember like I was maybe four okay three I was very young but it was uh, very very frustrating I remember on my very first book emergence I don't know where this hat so I chucked it out the window of the car and mother made me go get it and i uh, no, not being able to communicate horribly frustrated got to give them a way to communicate and do you think Essential. 
Do you have any tips? I know devices and um, well, packs, it can be my... the simplest thing, even a picture board. Okay. Something. Picture exchange. That's simple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it can be the simplest thing, but you've got to have a way to communicate needs. Like maybe you're thirsty, you have to use the bathroom. I mean, mm -hmm. just basic needs. You're cold, you're hot, you're yeah. And sometimes we like uh, uh, my daughter's frustration has increased as her age has increased, which is, uh, you know, understandable with her language, understanding language. But she we do a lot of guessing like today she didn't want to put on pants. And I'm sure it's because she didn't like the texture of the pants or the feel of the pants. And so I finally went and got a skirt from the drawer and okay. she ended up putting that on and and it worked fine. And it's kind give of her choice. Pants yeah. Or skirt. Yeah. We give, words, her choice. give a limited choice. Yeah. It seems to help a lot. The choices help a lot with the frustration. Have a choice. You can wear this shirt or that shirt. Yeah. You know, give some limited choices. And that can really, and that can really make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially with the clothes or preferences. I, that's the hardest part, I think, for me and for her is her preferences. I don't fully understand. And so we're trying to guess between each other, the communication. Well, a lot of it is how things feel. See, now one yeah. thing I had a problem with, like in the summertime, I'd wear shorts. And then when it was time in the wintertime to wear pants, I didn't like the way the pants felt. Mm -hmm. And so what I've ended up doing is I just wear long pants all the time. Oh, and to get rid feels, of the shorts. Then it always feels the same way. Oh, okay. Interesting. My, my good clothes and my work clothes all feel about the same. Oh, okay. And there's no transition. No season shift. Good thing you moved to Montana. Well, the other thing I do, I wear a lot of t-shirts under a lot of things. Oh, yeah, just yeah. That's do you have the softer? Yep. And there's some t shirts itched, and the ones that are soft are the ones I keep. The ones that itch get given away. Right down the line. My daughter's very finicky with clothing. She's nonverbal and she's older, so it's really difficult because I let her pick stuff out, but then she doesn't, if they don't fit exactly. Well, you like, have a choice and you can try it on the store. The other thing that's going to help a lot is washing everything that goes against the skin. Yeah. That you uh, know, underwear, all underwear if I wash before I wear any underwear. I oh, yeah. Rashes when I when I did not wash it. I call it Goldilocks because it has to be, you know, it can't be too loose, too tight. It's it's That's just right. very uh, well, and I found with some pants, I bought a pair of pants and after I washed them three times, then they were good. Yeah. You know, that that uh, there's something itches like I gotta be on a plane for a long time and I've got pants that itch. That is just horrible. That sounds horrible. Take really the plane does. to the Walmart. We gotta get a new pair of britches. The, Walmart stuff was some of the stuff that was better, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially for pants. And I and I found they last. Yeah, I think stuff that's... at some of the trendy little stores and the stuff just wore out, and like the pants got all ripped up really quickly. Listen, yeah. I have to say, as a as a mom whose daughter dresses up to look like Temple Grandin with the, uh, she's got an uh, agate bolero thing that she wears. Okay. <laughs> Oh, good. You get to wear whatever you'd like with whatever you'd like. <laughs> you are a, a thing in your own temple. Just fantastic. Is I know that you work so hard to advocate for your experience and for kids like ours. And I know that you speak at lots of conferences. And, yes, I do. You know, I I can imagine that you have certain things that you like to share with parents is there anything that you'd like well what i what i where, where i'm seeing big problems now is making the transition to adulthood mm -hmm. we're yep. doing a much better job with the younger kids i'm seeing too many fully verbal kids that get so overprotected they're not learning stuff like shopping 
Mm-hmm. They're not mm. doing chores. They're not learning work skills. That's something that needs to start around 11 with volunteer jobs, like a church volunteer job or a farmer's market volunteer job where somebody outside the home is the boss. Yeah. That's and we're really, really important. But I'm seeing some parents that just can't let go when I suggest that their kids go in a store and learn how to talk to the store staff and buy something. Mm-hmm. This is where uh, where we really got some problems. And then I have grandfathers that come up to me all the time. They find out they're autistic when the kids get diagnosed. Yeah. And where the autism diagnosis helps later in life is with relationships. Oh, yeah. That's where it's helpful. But in my new book, Visual Thinking, I talk a lot about jobs for people that are neurodiverse, whether they're autistic, dyslexic. And I'm an object visualizer that has a lot of problems with math. So the kinds of stuff I'm good at would be animals, photography, art, and mechanics. Yeah. Art and mechanics they actually go together. Then you have the kid on the spectrum who's a math genius. That's mm-hmm. the pattern thinker, music and math patterns. And then you'll have the autistic person that loves history, loves facts about, you know, football players or whatever their favorite thing is. And when looking at jobs, of course, your mathematicians, things like computer programming, and then some of these kids that are real smart in math, they need to be moved ahead and not be doing baby math because that's just going to cause a behavior problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Boredom. Going back to younger children real quick, and I'm not quoting you. I just see quotes from you certain places Okay. Um, about you said something when you were younger, your mom always took you out to try things to always go out and try them because well, you she have always, to expose. I had a very good sense of how to stretch me. I'm seeing too many of these kids not learning basic skills, things like money. Mm-hmm. The other thing is in my generation, social skills were taught in a much more structured way. Like, well, okay, we'd be sit down for dinner. And if let's say I took my drink and I stirred it with my finger, mother didn't scream, no, she'd say, use the spoon. She'd give the instruction. I call that teachable moments. That was a standard 1950s way of bringing kids up. And grown-ups corrected kids, no matter where little kids went, especially little kids. Mm. I get touched too much stuff in the store. The clerks would say, only touch the things you're going to buy. Yeah, constant coaching, right? Yeah, you see that's that, but that's, you know, and, and there's way too much time on devices. We got to get kids off these devices and get them doing other things. That's why I did books like, like uh, these two books, Calling All Minds and the Outdoor mm-hmm. Scientist, mm-hmm. all kinds of projects that kids can do outside. And kids actually love doing these things. Oh, yeah. My kids... One of the biggest things the schools did that was wrong was taking out hands-on mm-hmm. classes. Worst thing the schools ever did. My kids love being outside and in nature, especially my daughter. She loves touching nature. She loves being in water and being outdoors. And it actually regulates her body, I found, and her being to be out playing with sand or dirt or all of those things. Well, I did all those things when I was a kid. Yeah. But where we're really having problems is a a transfer to work because uh, I, um, I worked with big metal working shops where I'm sure the person that ran that shop was autistic and he owns a business and he patents stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is what kind of makes me want to pull my hair out. So I've gone back and forth between the autism world and the industrial world. Mm -hmm. The thing I learned since I was weird, I learned to show off my work. There's one of my drawings. I love that. I love it. What I learned 
was to show a portfolio of my work. Yes, let so that speak for you. my work rather than myself. Yeah, but we need the the uh, kids to think differently. I'm about ready to cry that you're real. We're really in your kitchen, and the Hubble space poster is yep, behind I you. I put that up there on purpose. I was putting. Listen, I know all about that <laughs> Hubble space yeah. thing. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your love of that? Well, and then the James Webb uh, stuff is even cooler. Please tell us. The Hubble Space Telescope, one of the pictures that I really liked was um, uh, the deep space field that has hundreds and hundreds of galaxies in it. Galaxies. Mm -hmm. Single most important picture the Hubble took. And I learned about the story behind that. And I wrote about the story behind it in, in my visual thinking book that the scientist who did that wanted to take 10 days of precious observing time yeah. to point the Hubble at nothing, at nothing. And, and other people, some reviewers want to go, well, you can't waste the time doing that. Well, when he pointed it at nothing, he saw everything. Everything. Mm. I think that's so cool. That's beautiful. I love beautiful. it. And the nothing was right by the Big Dipper. Mm. And then if you learned this story. Well, I read about before it. Before today, you should know that it really is on her fridge. It's real. <laughs> no, well, that's, no, this is true. Everybody else wanted to point the Hubble at some star or something that they could see easily. And that he wanted to point found. the Hubble into a dark, empty piece of space and let it observe for 10 days. And he found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of galaxies. Galaxies, so not planets, galaxies. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting. You know, that story resonated with me when I read it because the unexpected is exactly yeah. the life that my daughter has shown me. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's such a beauty and different. And a, and a different way about the way that my daughter processes with, you know, autism in conjunction to mental health. She also has brain damage issues and her view is like nobody else's. And well, she's eight years old and we were introduced to you right at the same time as her autism diagnosis. I know that our way to get into her world is different because of you. And I know that that's true across all the moms on this table. You've rocked so much about what this community knows. And I just, oh my God, I can't, I, I cannot put into words how much you've changed my view and our path because oh, well, my daughter's you. got dirty hands and dirty knees and we are outside learning life. Well, that that's good. And the other thing we have just have work on basic skills. Um, yeah. I remember 12 year old that came up to me at the airport with their mom and the mom did too much talking for the kid. The kids got to learn to do their own talking. And uh, I found out that the girl had never shopped, fully verbal. I handed her a $5 bill and I said, go across that hallway, go in that store and buy something. And she came back with a drink and gave me the change. No, It was the first time she'd ever shopped by herself. Mm -hmm. Now, we were sitting in the gate and you could see the store. It was right there. It wasn't at the other end of the terminal. And mm -hmm. I have parents that that are kind of afraid to do that or like they're pumping gas, send the kid into the shop, buy a jug of milk or just, you know, buy something. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm seeing kids where they haven't learned to order food in restaurants themselves because the mom will do it for them. No, this doesn't help the kid. They've got to learn how to do these things themselves. Yeah, we focus on that a lot in our house. My daughter came into my bedroom the other day with two eggs in her hand. She's obsessed with eggs right now. She loves them. 
uh, uncooked eggs and she was giggling up a storm and I'm like, okay, let's go to the kitchen. Let's put these in a pot. We're going to cook this up together. Yeah. Let's go break it in the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, (laughs) put them in the pot, but she helped me cook. She put the spoon in the water. She scooped it out, cracked the eggs. You know, she's four nonverbal. I mean, if you give them an opportunity, she can learn to do those. Yes. If you give them an opportunity. What they can do, mm-hmm. what they can do, and a lot of nonverbals can do all kinds of stuff like cooking. And there's some that can learn to type. Give you a yep. little hint: the print has to appear next to the keyboard. That's why an iPad works better than a desktop or a laptop. Because see, on this desktop, I gotta look way down here at the keyboard, and then when I look up at the print, they can't mm. make the attention shift. Mm. They cannot make the attention shift. So that's why an iPad works. And if you want to teach them on a desktop, you have to put the keyboard up on a box so that the print appears right next to the keyboard. Interesting. And they don't have to do this. Mm. Tension shift is a problem. Mm. That makes sense. Very, very simple thing. Temple, I've been reading visual thinking and like all your stuff, it has really helped my understanding of my son. I really like you quote Dr. Zeman in there who says it's, this is not a disorder as far as I could see. It's an intriguing variation in human experience. And mm. I love how you quote him in th- this whole perspective, especially you talk a lot about like our public school system and how it's really, how you're talking about taking out these hands-on classes. Oh, that's the worst thing they ever did. Now, some states are starting to put it back in. Yeah. And, but I had a student in my class who'd never used a ruler. We've got um kids growing up that have never used tools I think this is just ridiculous in high school so I failed out of calculus I got there and I failed out and they put me in like a business math class and I learned okay. how to and that makes sense and that's yeah. what should be done with someone like me and they don't um, do that anymore. well you see that's a mistake mm-hmm. business math is well that I need to have right that I know how to do too yeah but you see, there's, you see, you look at, you see, the other thing is we're losing skills. Like, for example, poultry processing plant, pork processing plant, that equipment's all being made in Holland now. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes back to taking out those shop classes. You see, in Europe, Italy, you can choose in ninth grade to go university or go tech route. And mm. they don't stick their nose up at the tech route. And I can tell you right now, the Italians make all kinds of food processing equipment that mm. we don't make. And it goes back to taking out those classes. Mm-hmm. So what can we do as parents to make sure we're implementing those things for our kids since the schools aren't? Well, then you got to, you know, do things, but we got kids that aren't doing scissors. That's why I, this book right here has got all kinds of little projects. When I did a book signing for this uh, four years ago, I found out that 20 to 30% of the people, kids in elementary school in suburban Denver had never uh, made a paper airplane. Oh my gosh. That is ridiculous. And paper airplane is in there of one of the projects. Cut out a paper snowflake. Mm-hmm. Just um, to our listeners, project. the book that Temple is telling us about is called Calling All Kids. Calling All Minds. It's called Calling, Calling All Minds. Paperback book version of it. it's got a yellow cover. It's called Calling All Minds. And I've got the outdoor scientist. That's to get kids out looking at animals and stars and mm, love it. Uh, rocks and just all <laughs> kinds of interesting stuff. You know, there's a foundational curiosity that I feel drives my daughter. And I yes. I feel like when curiosity and safety collide, it can feel like the thing that paralyzes that mom in the gate. But when her curiosity and her intellect drive her, I can picture the same, her bolting to the tree or bolting out to have her curiosities met. 
the same exact thing happening in different in a different light because of your the way that you fulfill your curiosity by exploring. And I just think it's that shift in me will allow my daughter to grow. Well, that's right. And you start looking at what they can do. There's too much emphasis on the deficit, not Mm -hmm. enough emphasis on the can do. Now, when I got into third grade, I couldn't read. And my mother and the teacher were really concerned about that. A whole word didn't work for me, but learning with phonics, reading out loud worked for me. Then also get a book that's interesting. (laughs) Not the Harry Potter, but that's a book that's interesting. Yeah. It was not interesting. On the other part of Jamie's heart. (laughs) I'm dyslexic and... Harry Potter was like, I mean, it was interesting to me. It was the first book I wanted to read it. I was so interested. wanted to read. It. See, that's really important. It's one of the best things that happened to reading. I went to our local Barnes and Noble when they had the midnight opening. I didn't stick around for the midnight opening. But when you see, you know, seven-year-olds lugging around a great big, huge, fat book. That's, that's one of the best things that ever happened to reading. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, my son is in kindergarten and I had to go to all these meetings to try and get him the supports in place that he needed. And one thing I was trying to describe to this team of people was that his brain works in photographs or that he he needs like that visual thinking. And then you've got math kids that just see patterns and everything. But my mind works in photographs. Yeah. And can you describe how, like maybe some tips or something that has worked for you along the way in that realm because once they put in visual supports for my son he was off to the running you oh, know yeah. he, well, did, he didn't it, i cannot remember long strings of verbal information uh, i need a checklist bullet points i mean now they can be written but even yeah now you said blah, 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 blah. this is how you close out the walmart cash drawer i'd be in trouble yeah i need to make a checklist a checklist okay yeah, I was trying to explain that to people. And I don't think my perception is, I mean, I do the best I can, but I can't really explain how that looks, I guess, for him, except for that it works better if you put in these visual supports for him, you know, he's well, going to do that. That's yeah, it's not, that's not difficult to do. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And my daughter is like a very strong visual learner. Um, she's nonverbal. She does have some words that she's developed. Um, in the past couple of years but before that she never had words you know sometimes she doesn't understand what you say to her she gets very lost in the more words you use but like she's very observant and she knows a lot of things that you would not think that we're discovering over the last couple of years all these things that like she knows that I didn't know that she knew the days of the week or the months of the year and she does like she was able to show me that on her iPad and it was just kind of one of these things that like just kind of happened you know and I'm learning that she knows so much stuff that we never realized because she learns by seeing everything not necessarily by yeah so it's it's just very interesting I, I actually watched the movie um tonight me and my husband watched it and um seeing how you or how the character that was you portraying you um you know just saw everything and took everything in well like you the know. movie shows exactly how I think in pictures I mean yeah. I just accurate. I just cried so much watching that it reminds me so much of my daughter obviously she's different she's not verbal and she doesn't have um you know she has intellectual disability and stuff but just like the reactions to things and just how you know how hard it is to process the environment for her and it just it was such a beautiful movie and it just and it wasn't necessarily crying sad it was just I just get emotional um 
yeah thinking about like just how hard it is for her and stuff yeah. um but like when the character went to the room and, and something was like moved that's how she is like she gets yeah, very and they get I remember when I was a kid, there was a water stain on the ceiling in my bedroom. Oh. And I was sure that all the furniture from upstairs was going to fall through the ceiling. And it was, a, it was from a leak in the roof. And yeah, now I know enough about construction to know that the plaster might come off the ceiling. It's an old house and it was plastered. But the dresser's not coming through the floor. The furniture from upstairs wasn't going to go crashing through the ceiling. Well. It's like you said earlier, how like certain finding the trigger, which sometimes it's very difficult to do, um, especially like my daughter, when she's upset, it's so much harder for her to understand or express anything. You have to wait till she kind of calms she's gotta down. Calm down. You got to wait yeah. for her to calm down. Yeah. Got to give her, give her a chance to calm down. You can't deal with it when she's in the middle of a meltdown. Oh yeah. We've learned that a long time ago. Time to calm down. <laughs> now I had consequences for some temper tantrums. The rule was no, uh, no television for one night, whether it happened at school or it happened at home. And the only exception to that rule was when it was obviously a loud noise, a big loud noise that caused it, like a yeah. horn on a ferry boat, for example. But it could be, like you said, like the ceiling thing, like if somebody who can't verbalize something like that, you just wouldn't know that, you know, like it, it's just, you know, sometimes I think there's these things, We it's like being a detective, you're looking around, you're trying, yeah, you know, that, sometimes... Right. That's you realize right. something was moved or like That's right. i don't know di different things well this is the other problem we have with autism is when the kids get older there's such a broad spectrum you got einstein at one end of the spectrum he had no language till age three he'd land in an autism program today and then yeah. you've got um um other other individual that can't talk and they may have epilepsy on top of the autism and much more severe issues and it's all got the same name See, one yeah. thing about verbal thinkers is verbal thinkers tend to overgeneralize, mm. where visual thinkers think specific. You know, mm. we talk about, I, I was on a thing the other day, we were talking about helping people with disabilities travel at the airport and places like that. Well, I don't think about that in generalities. Okay, the blind person told me that he, had a, he hated uh, trying to find gates on the concourse. Mm -hmm. So I immediately think, well, let's make an app for his phone that will read the gate numbers to them. Gate mm -hmm. number. You see, that is something specific. That's how my mind works. Not some big broad generality. Let's do something we can actually do. <laughs> yeah, modify some signs at the airport to make it work. But that's the sort of thing that I, I don't think in generalities. Let's do something we can actually do. And What's so cool about your path or your, you know, your story temple is that there's been so much action. It feels very much to me like your mom was a force. Oh, well, she had a very good idea how much to push me. And yes. I call it stretching. She didn't shove me into some sensory thing I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to tolerate. That she didn't do. She had a very good sense of what I could tolerate. But I see too many moms today overprotect their kid. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how many times this stuff has come up where fully verbal teenagers have never gone shopping by themselves. Yeah. I mean, this is happening over and over and over again. And I'm finding some of the moms just can't let go when I suggest that their kid should go in a store and buy something by himself, go up and order the food at the McDonald's counter by himself. Yeah. Just doing some of these basic things. Because mm -hmm. all of those build on each other. And I think that's a big part of your new book is that we need to push our kids to do these things because they contribute to something to society. A lot of well, other I tell, people. I tell corporate people, I mean, 
half those programmers in Silicon Valley are probably on the mathematicians on the spectrum. We need these skills. Who's going to mm -hmm. fix stuff like planes and elevators? Mm -hmm. You yeah. see, my kind of mind, now I'm not going to say I can learn this overnight, but like memorize the entire hydraulic system of an airplane. When I was younger, I would be capable of doing that. It would take me about a year to learn it. Mm. But that is just absolute visual thinking. Right. It's fascinating. Well, and then I, once you know that, then you can see the things that you can tweak to make it better. You kind of see when there's something wrong with it, where right. the problem might be. Yeah. Where the innovation and the solution can be. Well, that's right, because you see it. Yeah. And I, anything, um, we have a, you go check out the people fixing elevators and escalators. You're going to see a lot of gray hair. They're not getting replaced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, then I see some big fancy dancy building being advertised in New York City's super silvery tower. And I'm going, Oh, I hope the elevators work. I hope the water pumps are gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I watched an interview with you. I'm sorry, I don't know where it was at, but um you've talked about like looking at animals and how you could see different things that were going on with the animals that someone else couldn't see well, because of the in a sensory based world it's not a word based world yeah i found that really interesting uh my daughter we were in at my sister's house she walked outside in the backyard we were just letting her roam and then i look out there and she's literally two feet from a deer they are staring okay. each other in the face just looking at okay. each other and that would be something that i would be terrified of she had the most calm beautiful expression i was very scared got close because he wasn't afraid yes because he wasn't afraid he wasn't afraid and it's something that i see often with both of my kids is that their demeanor towards animals or nature in itself brings it to them almost like they're they're one with that space because of the way that their brains work on my other books animals and translation where i talk about how autism how autism and visual thinking help me understand animals because it's a sensory-based world Mm -hmm. they don't live in a word-based world yeah and there's a chapter on animal consciousness and visual thinking and there's still some people that don't think dogs think and i think it gets down to highly verbal thinkers may have problems imagining how can a dog actually think yeah well it's the same way i think about going to the grocery store to buy stuff and i see the big box they have in there that has apples on it now i can think about that without words Mm -hmm. And then I went in there, you know, out of blueberries. So I wasn't <laughs> happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> but that's something that I see. Yeah. And I can go shopping for fruit without any th thinking, without any words. Mm -hmm. My daughter, Celie, just started um, horse therapy. And it isn't riding horse, but it's like therapy in conjunction with these extraordinary animals and they're out in the sure. pasture together and the, the horses are a part of her experience, but there's no guide to them. There's no plan for it. It's just what Celie shows up as and what that horse is experiencing that day. And they walk through their connection for an hour and it's to build a sense of community and confidence within her regulation. Well, that's working and that's something that you do. Yeah. And, but I went, I've, seen a lot of scientists that I know are on the spectrum. You see autism is milder forms, it's personality variant. What yeah. point do you slap a label on it? And what the brain science is showing, it's a true continuous trait. Mm -hmm. When does nerd become autistic? There's no black and white dividing line. 
Yeah. And then you have, and then you have such a, you know, a, a big range that have very different needs. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a tendency for verbal thinkers, they tend to overgeneralize about things. Okay, how do I teach autistic kids? Well, it's going to be different now. You're going to teach a three-year-old than teach a fully verbal teenager that needs to be working. Absolutely. That's a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And we deal with that a lot, I think, in the public school setting or school setting in general, because it's a generalized space where all kids are supposed to be taught in a certain function and formula and really that doesn't work for a lot of kids not just autistic kids but a lot of kids that doesn't really work well I worked with a lot of people that owned metal fabrication shops they'd taken a single welding class in high school and they started out with a welder on the back of a truck then the business just grew and then they got a small shop then they got a big shop and yeah thing at a time one stretch at a time thinking when they figure out how mechanical things work is a different kind of thinking you just see how it works. Mm-hmm. For instance, my husband, he's not an academic person at all, but he can fix anything. He can look at it, figure it out. Like, I, I can't do that. You know, it's everybody's so different in the way they learn. So some people just really learn hands-on, really like looking at things, you know, putting things. I can't put anything together. I'm not one of those people, but like, you know, just figuring things out and that's, that's where they're strengthened. Different kind of thinking and either mm-hmm. mathematical thinking or word thinking. And mm-hmm. I tell corporate people that the first thing they need to understand is different thinking exists. Mm-hmm. And they bring different kinds of skills. Like when I worked on a visual thinking book, I would do the rough drafts, but they'd be kind of disorganized. Betsy, my very verbal co-author, would, would smooth them all out, rearrange stuff. She was just magical how she did that. So <laughs> we're using our complementary skills. Mm-hmm. That's what we were doing. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Well, in the first part of the uh, visual thinking book, I talk about skill loss. I already talked about that. Then I have a whole chapter just on the science. Because some people say, well, maybe this is just conjecture. It's not really true. But there's a whole lot of science where there's been um, experiments with object visualizers and then the mathematical visual spatials. See where the skills are different. Bunch of science. Then I have a chapter called screened out where I talk about kids who can't do algebra, can't graduate from high school, I'm going nowhere. Then there's a chapter on neurodiversity that originally started in the autism community. And then there's a whole chapter on disasters and how visual thinking could have prevented messes like Fukushima because mm-hmm. mathematicians calculate risk. Visual thinkers mm-hmm. like me go, well, why didn't you put watertight doors on it to protect <laughs> the electric emergency cooling pump? Yeah. I just yeah. I just yeah. see it. Yeah. Electric pumps don't run underwater. And all I know about that reactor is I need that pump really badly to prevent a meltdown. Get me a bigger I'm gas really in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you just see it. And then there's a chapter on animal consciousness. So that, uh, and, but there's also a lot of information in there on jobs for different kinds of thinkers, because that's something that I want to see these kids uh, get into good careers. Yeah. For my kind of mind, skilled trades is a good way to go. But for the mathematical kid, it'd be computer science and maybe music, maybe chemistry, lots of uh, math and that. There's things where you need algebra. But I'm concerned that all these math requirements are screening out my kind of mind. Right. And what would I do if I was in California and I couldn't graduate from high school? Well, there's a back door. And I've seen it happen all the time in the meat industry. Somebody comes in, gets a job on the line. Next thing you know, 
They're in the maintenance shop. The next thing you know, they're in charge of the new plant addition. I have seen that that way of doing things. And I've, you know, somebody's a job at an Amazon warehouse and then they end up designing the next one. Good things where you learn on the job. And there's a value in, in that. But I think that as society, we need to put more value in that plan and that path because so much has been cut out. And I think- well, like I we can't believe about that people say, well, a car is just a rolling computer. No, yeah. it's a machine controlled by a computer. Right. Same thing with a 3D printer. It's a mechanical device controlled by a computer, not just a rolling computer. Right. It's ridiculous to say that. Well, in Temple, in reading your book, I have recommended it to like five people already who I'm like, hey, you should read this book. I think it will help you understand yourself. Like so many, I immediately understand who visual thinkers were. And mm -hmm. you talk about the different types of visual thinkers, but I highly recommend the book to well, anyone. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's really good. And I was like examining myself from it. Like, okay, where do I fit? And well, that's just, right. And a lot of people are, are mixtures. And I didn't realize that verbal thinking existed until I was in my 30s. Mm. And that was a shock for me. I've heard you tell, uh, share that story uh, of, or I've heard your story shared in that regard. And, and it's just such an eye-opener to imagine like it opens up a whole new world to think that other people are this way. But also a lot of people that don't, know that other people think differently you know, right. but artists and accountants don't get along well I think some of this gets down to how they think mm -hmm. and when you understand how they think then they can get along better and they can figure out how they can use the skills in a complementary manner it made me really think about how my daughter has language and she knows that she's autistic and she has lots of um, role models, women that are autistic, we're sitting with one. And it's been cool to watch her have the power within that and know that she might come up with a different solution to a problem that somebody else might not see. There's such a sense of empowerment in her. And I feel like that's a lot to do with how we described things to her and, and, and really who she is as a person. But can you speak a little bit about how the label has and how your diagnosis, how, how you kind of harness that power? as a power and not as well the parts you can't do you know where i'm seeing like a, an adult that gets diagnosed later on in life yeah uh that gives insight into relationships and a lot of people feel relief but on the other hand you take on the fully verbal end of the spectrum i'm seeing too many kids i think getting held back by the way and they're not getting out and working and the parents overprotect them yeah now, i don't want it i want there's some jobs i want to avoid mcdonald's takeout window i want to avoid that that's multitasking horribleness Oh, yeah. Above, uh, uh, Christmas stores at the, during the holidays, things like that. Yeah. Just that kind of chaos I want to avoid yeah. because that'd be the multitasking, that'd be setting them up for failure. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, you've got to get them out doing things. I'll tell you what, one McDonald's did just working in the neighborhood with an autistic girl. She ran the cash register, but when the store got really busy, they had her clean tables. Love it. Mm -hmm. Now it's just a very simple little thing. That when the cash register got too hectic, they took her off of it. Now that's yeah. easy. These are the sort of simple things we need to be doing. Yeah. Easy really accommodation simple. to help someone be successful. Yeah. Well, that's right. And when the store's busy, they need somebody to clean the tables. Yeah. And it can get overwhelming. I used to work at my total, so I know. <laughs> Temple, we want to thank you so much for your time and your work, mostly for your work and your time. I just can't express how much 
your work has meant to each of the five of us. I just well, am so thank grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. What an honor. Thank it you. It was great to join yeah. you. And uh, thank you for having me. Yes. Have a wonderful thank evening. You. I will. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the table for this interview with Temple Grandin. Make sure to check out her book, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. You can find the link in the description of this episode. In there, you can also find where to sign up for our newsletter and how to become a supporter. Join us next Monday for another episode. But while you wait, make sure to check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again.